millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government announces its latest cost of living measures, but it's a continuation of a lower VAT rate for hospitality the best use of taxpayers' money. Another shocking and violent incident involving the Garthi in Dublin calls into question what powers the force should have in order to protect themselves and bank debt write-offs, a case of one rule for some and one for everyone else. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightPMTV. Discussion and deliberation. Cabinet today signed off on a 1.3 billion euro package of cost of living measures, which the government says will put money back into people's pockets, help with the bills, and ensure there's no cliff edge for the temporary measures already in place. Well, here for a reaction to this, I'm joined in studio by Minister of State in the Department of Finance, Jennifer Carroll McNeil, Sinn Fein TD, Thomas Gould. Political correspondent for Bauer Media, Sean Defoe, and coming to us live from government buildings tonight is the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. It feels like a mini-budget. That is not what this is. Sean, to come to you, though, on these cost-of-living measures that have been announced today, um, we knew a lot of detail, obviously, in the run-up to the official announcement today, but the government was targeting cost-of-living with some once-off lump sums again uh, to help people. Yeah, that's the main way they've gone about it. So lump sums to target particularly those people who maybe need it most, the likes of people on social welfare, so that will include job seekers, but also pensioners, carers, people with a disability, those types of groups. And then also, I suppose, more rounded effort to target families in particular through the child benefit. There's going to be a €100 Euro payment per child paid in June to people. And then a lot of the rest of the package is sort of a rollover of measures that were already there. So the likes of the tax cut for the hospitality that you mentioned in the intro, that's going to be extended until the end of August. The tax reduction from 13 and to 9% on energy as well, which obviously could affect our bills kicked out to later in the year. And then the excise duty on fuels, which is, I suppose, the one universal element on this that is going to make everything more expensive over the course of the year. That's going to be increased. Uh, so basically unwound what they did in the budget last time. Uh, over a phase basis, starting in June, then in September, and then in October again, that ultimately will add about 23 cents to a litre of petrol and 16 cents to a litre of diesel by October. Okay, so they give it uh, and then they take it away a little. But a contentious decision was to keep the VAT rate for the hospitality sector, which you mentioned there, um, that it does include hotels, of course, at 9%. And that's costing quite a bit of money. €300 million Euro is going to be the cost, or effectively about one in four euro that they announced the spent today is just going to be tax foregone from the hospitality sector. And this is probably the most contentious part of it because that's the €300 million Euro that could be used elsewhere. It's 75% of an electricity tax credit for everybody 
anybody again if you want to put it in those terms. And I think a lot of people will say, oh yeah, the local cafe, your local restaurant who are genuinely struggling, fair enough, having the cut for them. But then you look at the other side of some of the big hotels that were price gouging last year around some of the gigs, they're also taking the benefit of it. And could that 300 million euro have been used better elsewhere? I certainly think it could. I know probably Jennifer's going to disagree. All right, OK, well, let's um, see what Michael McGrath has to say um, about this one. The Minister for Finance uh, joining us uh, down the line. We'll get the rest of panel, our panel uh, reaction to it as well. But... Um, Thanks to you, Minister, for joining us. And just to come to you on that lower hospitality VAT rate, that is going to cost somewhere up to 300 million euro, maybe between 250 and 300 million euro. Um, it, it, it accounts for around 20% of the overall spend in this package of measures. Why did you decide to do it? Uh, good evening, Claire. Well, essentially, VAT is a tax on consumption. And so it is a tax that is paid ultimately by consumers. And for me, a key consideration here was that at the moment, the level of inflation is high but is falling. And were we to allow the VAT rate to go back to 13.5% uh, in just over a week's time, we would see some prices increase. And it would go against the government policy now, which is uh, to try to get inflation down. Uh, it is also the case that there are significant regional variations around the country. Uh, there are many small cafes and restaurants. Uh, also, we have hairdressers and barbers and cinemas and uh, theatres and so on covered by this rate. And so we have agreed as a government to give uh, what is a final extension uh, to the end of August. Uh, also, big chains of hotels within that group and within that sector. Um, and that hospitality sector has already been bailed out very well by the state in a series of subs subsidies, grants that are still in existence. And some of these hotels are making incredible pre-tax profits in the past year since we emerged from COVID. So the argument is, or the accusation there is, you're choosing one sector over every other to give a tax break to. And it wasn't a clear-cut call here. So what were those opposing it within government? I'm sure there were some opposing it within government. What were they saying to you? So the decision had to be made on the whole. Uh, we weren't in a position to divide different parts of uh, the sectors impacted or indeed to make any geographical variations in relation to the application of VAT. And the simple you, truth is that were we to... Well, well, that is the position. Legally, you could separate uh, accommodation, for example, from non-accommodation, uh, but the Revenue Commissioners made it very clear uh, that that um, presented very significant operational challenges and complexity and simply was not recommended. So a decision had to be made uh, in the round in relation to whether or not we were going to allow the rate uh, to go back to 13.5 or whether we would provide a further extension. And for me, uh, one of the key factors is the fact that inflation is falling, uh, to allow the rate to go back would have added to inflation at a time when the government is really anxious to get it down. It's in all of our interest that we do so. Although we don't necessarily know, would, uh, you know what way the, those costs would have been passed on. It is, um, it is competitive. We're already getting accusations all around that hotels are charging an awful lot of money um, at the moment. But, um, you know, on this, do you, do you think on the whole it was worth the 300 million euro? I know you speak about in the round, but when we talk about the cost of living crisis we're in and the constraints that we keep hearing about the spend from a government point of view, that it's worth that. 
I do on balance and I would make the case that there are uh, many small businesses all over Ireland that would have been detrimentally impacted were uh, the VAT rate to go back up and I think it could potentially have cost uh, some jobs around the country. So for me it was about that issue of inflation, uh, trying to allow that to continue to decline, which is what we need to do, and also protect the employment levels in what is a very jobs-rich sector, uh, which has a very strong regional presence uh, all over Ireland. So there will be examples where you know, certain operators uh, are not passing it on to consumers, where they are charging rates that are simply uh, unjustifiable, um, but we have to make a decision on the whole, uh, and I do think that it is uh, on balance the correct decision given the set of facts and the circumstances uh, that we face. But we have also made it clear to the sector that it is the final extension and the rate will revert to 13.5% uh, on the 1st of September next. Okay, I want to bring um, the rest of my panel in. Um, and um, we listened to what uh, Michael McGrath had to say there, Thomas Gould, um, about the defence of, of this, uh, keeping this tax break essentially in place for the hospitality sector. But uh, there's also criticism around, say, the once-off payments um, that are gone in a week. Um, some are saying people like Vincent de Paul, Social Justice Ireland. Would you share that criticism around that? Because we hear from government um, that this is the best way uh, to help people. No, and uh, the Minister had a, a really big missed opportunity today, the government had, because people are really struggling, people are really scared, they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. I'm talking to people in my clinic every Monday and Friday and they're crying out for, for help. And today was... A, a, people are going to be devastated when they see what the government announcements are. And just, I suppose, just to look at it, this once-off payment, like, we looked for um, a spring delivery like we did at Christmas. And the government did that with 200, and that was a good start. But after that, then that was it. So they took an, an idea that Sinn Féin had, and he only ran a small bit of it. Like, if you're in housing now... So what would you have liked to have seen? OK, well, what, what does we, the Sinn Féin spring bonus What we like? would like to see is we would like to see a break for those who are being crippled by the, the rising cost of interest rates. Like, we've seen people can't pay the mortgages. We also, for those who are renting, we wanted to see a, a, a tree year rent freeze, but we also wanted to see one month rent back in people's pockets. Now, the government would say that they announced in the budget 500, 500 euros, but we would have went further. We would have went a month to a maximum of 15, and also in relation to childcare. Last year on the budget, the government went for 250. We want to give people two-thirds, reduce the cost of childcare with two-thirds. So, right. Do you like, think all of that could have been achieved within the, 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 the cost of living measures that were due to be announced today? That, you know, they're not describing well, it as a, as a budget. Well, Sinn Féin will have spent, or Pierre Starty outlined our plan, which was over two billion. Mm. The government's denounced 1.3 today, less than 1.3. Like, we have a massive surplus. If you're not going to help people when they need help, know is when people need help at the moment. And what the government is trying to do now is kick it down the road like they did last summer and people like I'm talking I'm talking to people no they don't know how they're going to pay their rent or their mortgage and they're right. looking at the cost of food okay um Jennifer Carl McNeil to bring you in on that and, and the rent reliefs because that's something that um we heard a lot from Sinn Féin in the Dáil today with their criticism around that saying um you know there's decisions being made and they fail to address such a big matter as the rental crisis that's really hitting people in the pocket right now 
Well, what I would say is that the government introduced a tax credit uh, which has been applicable from the beginning of this year and I would encourage people to apply for it, which is €500 Euros for a renter, you know, if that's per renter. So if you're three people living together, that's €1,500 Euros together. And that's really important that people should apply for it. But what Sinn Féin have proposed is part of their housing policy is that's it, that you get one month's rent back. But what they're going to do at the same time is abolish the help to buy scheme, which is €30,000 of your tax back to help you buy a home. So I think it's important to set out your proposal in its broader context. You will give renters €1,500. The government are giving people €30,000 towards helping them buy a first home. And that's in that broad context. We want to try and provide support to people through how it has been a difficult winter and we don't know where the rest of the year goes. And we need to make sure that we have good provision for an October budget. We have, through the budget in October, made provision now that we can do more. This is what Pascal Dunahoo was describing when he said there needs to be more in the tank to provide targeted supports at this time. And this is a very, very targeted package. Mortgage particularly relief, though, on, on on that issue that, you know, Sinn Féin have called for and many people who are crippled by, by their mortgages right now may say, well, now is the time to help out in that regard. Our figures show that mortgage interest relief will cost 700, near close to 700 million euros a year, 655 million euros a year. We know that it's an inflationary measure in itself mm. and it has, been, it has been discounted as a serious policy You're measure. spending nearly by 300 every, million euros to on help something out else, the hotel. On something else. Yeah. But, 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 on something else. but are you helping but out a are... sector in crisis there? Well, when you're helping out hoteliers. Well, sorry, there are two different questions. One is around the value as a policy tool of mortgage interest relief as opposed to other things. And we have seen that discounted again and again by economic analysts and by the ESRI and others. A separate question then is about whether or not to extend the VAT support, the, the VAT relief, up to the end of the, of the summer for a sector that is a summer-based sector that employs close to a quarter of a million people in this state and where we are genuinely trying to bring down inflation where there's a measure of equivalence across both of the things that you've identified, is that putting up VAT in this way would mean increased prices and that would be inflationary. And the mortgage interest relief would itself be inflationary. And this is right. at the moment when we're trying to okay. pull down inflation as much as possible. Because if we don't, and inflation, core inflation gets really tough, gets really sticky, we are really going to have to difficulty. We are going to have to, we, we will constantly All be right. trying to battle okay. that. And that is not in the interest of um, the public. Michael McGrath, I'd like to, to bring you in just specifically on that subject of mortgage interest relief that Sinn Féin would like to see. Um, and when you were in opposition in 2015, you described it as a very important support for families um, and the process of withdrawing it from existing homeowners at a time when they're subject to other taxes, residential property tax, um, is a government policy, this is when Fine Gael were in government, that is making home ownership increasingly unaffordable for families. Have you changed your tune? Well, Claire, that was at a time when mortgage interest relief was being phased out and the debate was whether or not it should be extended. And in the end, it was extended, uh, but it has now been brought to an end and it no longer exists. Today was not a budget and the appropriate time for any significant new taxation decisions, such as to introduce new measures, new reliefs, to set up new schemes, uh, would be in the context of a budget. And the next budget will happen in the autumn. But I think we Are have to look to at it? this Are in the round. Are you opposed to the budget. idea, Minister? Well, I think we will have to make a decision as to whether or not it represents uh, the best use of resources because there are lots of different groups in society who undoubtedly need additional help at this time. Like Since Budget 2022, we've brought in about €8.5 billion Euro of cost of living measures for households. 
uh, with today's set of measures, we have sought to target the measures insofar as we possibly can. And that has been the advice that we have been receiving both from uh, domestic bodies in Ireland, but also internationally, uh, to target the measures to those who need them the most. Uh, and I believe we have struck that right balance today. Um, and many of the measures that we announced in the budget have only just kicked in in recent weeks. Further measures will uh, be implemented across this year in relation to education, reducing costs there, reducing costs in healthcare. Uh, we've already reduced childcare costs and reduced income tax. So we have a series of measures that are being implemented and it's important to say that if we manage the public finance as well as I believe we have so far, then we will have the resources for a further significant response later in the year uh, if that is needed. Okay, before um, we let you go, Minister, because we will be discussing this later on in the programme, I just want to come to you on the, the AIB debt write-down um, and the bank's reported defence of that write-down that has been um, reported in recent days around former sports star GJ Carey. Uh, what, what do you make um, of that, um, your reaction to it, and do you think the bank has some explaining to do? Well, Claire, as you know, as Minister for Finance, I can't make a comment in relation to any individual case. And all of these are commercial matters for the bank themselves. Uh, but what I would say is, uh, of course, I expect all banks uh, to have clear policies and procedures and to apply those policies and procedures con consistently uh, across all types of borrowers and across different situations. Uh, it wouldn't be appropriate or fair to go into an individual case because uh, I've even seen new reports in the media today adding some new information in relation to that. And of course the directors of AIB and the directors of all banks have a particular fiduciary responsibility uh, to the shareholders and uh, as a shareholder in mm. respect of AIB uh, I expect them and I've no doubt they will fulfil their obligations in that regard uh, but it's a matter now for the Finance Committee who I believe have invited uh, the bank before them uh, to examine uh, that application of consistency right. across the board. Do you, do you expect AIB uh, will go before the Finance Committee, uh, committee Minister? Um, I have no reason to believe that they won't, but I wouldn't expect them, to be honest with you, to engage in relation to any individual customer file, and nor would I expect them to. Um, but I think they, they will welcome the opportunity to set out how they handle cases, uh, to set out their policies and procedures. And I think what people will want to be reassured of is that principle of consistency uh, in the application of those uh, across a whole range of different situations. OK, uh, thank you for joining us tonight, Minister. We do appreciate it. And I want to return to my panel now, and we will be returning um, to that discussion around debt write-downs further on in the programme. Um, but just to come back to the decisions that were made today in the cost of living. Uh, Thomas Gould, I know you were eager to get in um, when the Minister was talking about uh, what was going to happen in the area of child benefit and the different back-to-school allowances and those measures that have been announced today, which the government will be keen to say will help hard-pressed families. Well, the first point I wanted to make was the Minister made a point about interest rates and that we looked at it the next budget. But everyone knew interest rates were on the rise. Like, this was across Europe and America. People knew interest rates were coming. The minister was an intelligent man. He knew that. But he took a decision, and the government took a decision, not to protect people with mortgages and not to protect families. He also took the same decision not to give renters... Like, if you're... The, the big issue is those who are trapped in the middle. Those people who are working, maybe a couple working, they each have a full-time job, they have a mortgage, they're renting, they have childcare. Those people now feel... And do you believe the now is the time to do it? 
Yeah, of course. And what I would do, I would give people at least a break. And like people, yeah, we know this right. is a short-term measure, but we think it should be brought All right. First, it's, it's a, a break, hugely Jennifer. significant measure. You know what? And I, I'm just so glad to hear Sinn Féin talking at all about people who own their own homes because there's nothing in their budget document that mentions this. There's nothing in any of their housing documents that supports private home ownership or the development of private homes for sale. I think the word mortgage is once in their in their budgetary document. They never, they had a political choice to make around budget time as well to highlight this and to put figures beside it. They have done none of those things. They have come to this issue in the last two or three weeks. This is a serious, serious... Budgeting is a serious matter that takes a 12-month period, that actually takes an 18-month period. You can't just walk into the doll and say, we'd like to spend 700 million euros on this. It just isn't serious. But then Sinn Féin economics isn't serious. We looked at the childcare figures earlier and it simply doesn't add up from the last budget. So... We, we will talk about all of the serious measures in a budgetary process, but thinking but of something... There are serious measures announced today. Thinking, there were really serious measures today. Yes, there are very serious today. measures There's announced. There's a lot of money being spent today, Jennifer. There are very today, serious Jennifer, announced measures announced being by the government. Is the by money the government. being divvied up in the right place? By the government, yes, you were right. There's very serious money being announced today, as there has been, by a serious government that has been managing the public finances for the last 10 years in a serious way to make sure that through a pandemic and through a major energy crisis that we have had money, and it is important, we have had that money specifically because we have managed the finances, whereas Sinn Féin right. at every stage have wanted us to borrow look, more and spend everything. Borrow more and spend everything. And we simply wouldn't have the lot of money. Sinn Féin's policies there around him budgeting. To, him so, him so Thomas, respond. just to hear from you briefly on that. Listen, Give us the this detail. is not just Sinn Féin. This is Bernardo, St. Vincent de Paul, Penny Dinners and Cart, right? We have not we've never seen, we've Sorry, never seen the amount of children the and the amount of families having to go to food banks and the Taoiseach might want to hear this and the government might want to hear this, but this is the reality on the ground. Families, working families have to go to food banks to get help. I was talking to Katrina Toomey and Penny Dunders recently. They've never seen the amount of food that they're giving out to families now. Families that would have never had to go there. We but have they must spent know. 60 All million right. euros to, to, today on this, on the hot school meal package. It's not just in the budget, it was 320 schools, it's now every desh school and every special school. So that's 64,500 children who will get a hot meal in school in the most okay. disadvantaged communities and their breakfast as a consequence as well. That's the way it's structured. All right, okay. Although some would argue that actually we shouldn't just be singling out individual schools and areas. There's a lot no, of but kids we should start and with impoverished schools. families. But we should start with desh schools, shouldn't sure. we? All of them. All right, but there is a more universal um, Which trend is why there, we also do universal measures. Well. We also do universal um, measures. Actually, just to bring in on that, that point, targeted versus universal, mm. it was a big criticism here, Sean, that would um, the government go the way of a more targeted approach, which we've seen so many calling for. Um, do you believe they succeeded in doing that? Well, this definitely targeted towards more people this time, which is what a lot of agencies were saying, in fairness, that it needed to be more targeted than universal, but there just isn't enough there. There isn't enough there to help people. And as Thomas said, there is a, a cohort in the middle who don't qualify for any level of social welfare payment, a large cohort who don't have any kids and aren't going to benefit a single cent out of today, and a lot of renters, for example, who aren't going to benefit out of today and wouldn't benefit from the likes of mortgage interest relief anyway. So there is this sort of a cohort where who would have been considered in very, very good jobs 10, 15 years ago and been able to get by and are getting squeezed and squeezed by all the different cost of living increases that weren't addressed today, were addressed a little bit in the budget, but are finding it really, really hard to say, yes, there is something for me here and something that I can look forward to. Well, all right. 
sorry, I think one of the important things that we did in the budget there was the tax changes. And we'd like to be able to continue with that because exactly that cohort benefit from those tax changes, plus the universal measures in relation to energy bills and so on. But that is something that we would like to do more and I'd love to see more tax okay, changes. But not this budget. time round. But it wasn't a tax budget. You can't do no, that. No, not a tax spending. budget, but just on, about, just but on reliefs for people budget, who don't have kids. Yes. And reliefs for people who are working very hard but but they're still be able benefiting if they're that. driving for example they'll benefit from the delay in re in bringing back the the changes in relation to the cost Actually, of petrol the and they're, coming, they're just being staggered this we have to bring them back we have to bring them back and we have to do it in a way that when the prices yeah, are coming back you up can't that say, that you can't say that that was a benefit this is your today. tax money we and this is everybody else's tax yeah. money we have to spend well, every, it in the right way yeah. we have spent I more than we've ever spent before ever before and to try to do it in the most universal and targeted way and I'm, I'm sorry if you don't like it but it's, it's everybody's money oh, we have to try and get the balance of it right I'm just asking the questions it's the public don't like it and the public won't like it because the public feel that the government the government had promised a lot over the last couple of days about this big announcement the today we said that they would have money in the tank and that they would manage the public finances that they would keep some back and have money in the tank for February and that's exactly what they did well we put out our, we put out our submission sure. last week, letting the government know what we thought they should have done. They did a small bit of it, but that's all it was. OK, I'll have to leave um, that there for now. My panel will be staying on with me coming up after the break. Another vicious attack on Garthy in Dublin. Do stay with us. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. Well, yesterday, shocking footage emerged of a mob attacking Garthi in broad daylight in the Ballyfermot area of southwest Dublin. In the video, two Garthi are surrounded by a group who cheer and taunt as missiles and bottles are being fired, leaving one officer requiring hospital treatment. The footage has once again sparked discussion around how we tackle the increasing incidence of violence against our police force. Well, for more on this, Minister Jennifer Carroll McNeil, Thomas Gould and Sean Defoe are still with me. We're also joined by President of the Garda Representative Association, Brendan O'Connor. Uh, Brendan, you're very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, we had this incident, this attack on the, the Garda, condemned by the Taoiseach today, who said we are taking action on this. Since we last heard condemnation in government circles um, with the attack on two Garthi before Christmas and before that around a Garthi ramming incident in, in, in Ballyfermot, 
do you believe specifically from talking to members and on the ground that anything has changed? No, unfortunately nothing has changed. If anything, the situation has got probably worse because as we see the cumulative effects of the failure to deliver on the recruitment promises from government and, and the failure of that process to deliver recruitment has crystallised the issue. And, and on the introduction there, you referred to the shocking image, but unfortunately, this is actually becoming less shocking because it's becoming the norm to see Gardaí out there being exposed to danger. This is the reality that our members and their families live with every night when they leave their homes to go to work. And now the public are getting a, a view of what is actually happening. So we, we've seen the figures released in recent times that show that the numbers of Gardaí is actually are, are falling. So that's a, that's a huge issue for our members and for, for, for the safety of communities that rely on them. So it's very, very concerning. And what we see time and time again is members, when they find themselves in these vulnerable situations where they're exposed to extreme levels of violence, is that the colleagues and the backup that they once relied upon just simply isn't there. Mm -hmm. um, look, let's go straight to the point on this, um, Jennifer. I suppose we're talking here about uh, Garda numbers being a significant issue. It's not just boots on the ground, but a community level to form that relationship with people and to establish that and to maybe establish that respect that clearly we are not seeing across all that footage, all that video footage, all these incidents and more incidents that, that Brendan is referring to. So let's talk about Ballyfermot alone. Garda numbers have dropped more than 25% in the past 10 years in Ballyfermot. 93 Garda there in 2012. Um, to 69 at the end of 2022. We're seeing a drop in Garda resources at a time when we have a growing population. The, first of all, I just want to condemn that attack absolutely, completely. The Garda, you know, we're extremely grateful for what they do, but that's not enough. They need the right support. But I just want to make that point. Mm. But I think it's be careful around the language of disrespect. Ballyfermot and other communities are hugely great people that have huge respect for the Gardaí. They were talking about a tiny, yeah. lawless minority, and I just don't want that to, to creep Absolutely. over. Absolutely. We're talking Absolutely. about a tiny group we of people. Not yeah, exactly. We're not, not, exactly. I'm not referring exactly. to the majority of people. Exactly. And I think, we're clearly exactly. talking to those people who are in that video and other people who have made working as a guard so very, yes. very difficult. Exactly, exactly. Whereas the huge community around Ballyfermot and other places is absolutely against all of this. And indeed, I was speaking with my colleague, Mary Siri Carney, who's involved with the working group that was set up around Ballyfermot and Cherry Orchard, around trying to make sure that matters can be addressed, that the community supports that are needed are there, and that we are expending. And okay, so, so that's what local, the community yeah, is looking so for. Exactly, well, I think there, and I think that is that is continuing to work, and I got an update oh, from her. Oh, hang on a second. I'm sorry. I'm, have we ha have Sorry, that, have we got an update? Because what, what Brendan is saying is actually it's got worse. Since the that that operation, for example, I was speaking to her this evening about her involvement in this community group. Those meetings continue, that she, she is engaged in this on the ground and the ministers are, are you know, re remain engaged and remain supported in that. But this is an, on, this is an ongoing process. Mm. That the broader issue around Garda recruitment is absolutely central. And I don't want to see Garda numbers low. I want to see people being pulled away from where you know, administrative work into... So why do you Gard think, why do you think, and we will come to we the panel on this, why do you think we are, we are seeing low Garda numbers? Because we're getting government announcements about yeah. big recruitments, 800 last year, 1,000 this year. That's all really welcome. It is. But, and, the funding, and the funding is there. Aren't we're fun not, you're not recruiting Garthi to fill those we are, positions. We are certainly trying. There's a, new recruit, there's a new cohort of recruits going in every 11 weeks into Templemore. We didn't last year meet our numbers. We had, the physicians were there. 
they were funded, but we didn't get the people in that we wanted Why to get do you think in. That is well, there was a couple of different issues with it, according to the Department of Justice, including some of the, the fitness tests, for example. I don't, I don't, I, you know, that's the, what the Department of Justice is saying. But the funding is there, the structure is there. We want the Gardaí. We are, we are back up to a figure that was pre-crisis, but we want to get up to fifteen thousand. At the same time that we have been recruiting, albeit not enough, even though the money is there, our population is growing hugely, and we are seeing a more. I, I, regret to say it, instances of much greater severity of violence, really much greater severity yeah. of violence. And that is, a, that is a huge problem. Yeah, and we're highlighting all the problems that are here, Thomas. I guess what people will be wondering tonight when they see videos like that, when we hear about what communities have to put up with as well, is what's actually happening. Well, what's happening, first of all, I want to send the best wishes to the two Gardaí involved. And I also want to send, I suppose, solidarity to all the Gardaí who are out there tonight mm. and who are out there every day. Because I was involved in an incident last night where 50, 60, 70 young people uh, driving motorbikes, there was a car accident, block, roads were blocked. And I was talking to Gerdy in the last couple of days who said they, they, they can't provide um, the services that are needed because they don't have the numbers. And I was talking to very frustrated uh, angry girls who are at the pit of their colour. And, like, and listen to Jennifer. Jennifer is a minister in the government. Like... Uh, Brendan would tell you, if, you, if you're considering joining the Gardaí, at this current time, the wages aren't good enough, the, the terms conditions aren't good enough. If you're a young Gardaí moving into Dublin, where are you going to live? Where are you going to live under this government? So the, the, Jennifer is here saying, we have to do this, that and the other. I'm telling you, and it's not Ballyformit, and I want to say this, I was in Ballyformit before Christmas with Dahi Doolin and Ian Gassosnaddy, right? The, the people, and I would agree with Jennifer on that, you have us one, one or two percent bringing down the whole community. Mm. There are brilliant people out there. But the issue here is, 12 years ago, a Fianna Gael slash and burnt austerity, cut education programmes, cut youth groups, cut money to funding, closed Temple more. We said we would pay the price, and we're paying it now. OK, uh, chickens coming home to roost then, um, Sean. I I is that the sense of it there? Actually, those issues outside of straightforward policing but the wider issues, the community supports, um, maybe mental health services for young people, waiting lists, all those things for maybe intergenerational problems um, in areas um, like Ballyfermot and elsewhere are all having an impact now, are they? Yeah, there's an element of, you know, reaping what was sowed during the recession. And that's a, 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 through a number of factors. Obviously, Garda recruitment, community policing as well, where there are a few Garda, because obviously community policing is what tends to work better in these areas where there can be a small amount of people who uh, who provide a difficult element, and I suppose drag the name of the area through the mud as well. But also in terms of maybe programmes that were foregone that might have diverted people onto a different trajectory and a different, you know, sort of life. And I like, I grew up in a council estate during the recession. There wasn't a huge amount of prospects for a lot of, you know, my neighbours or myself. And you saw some people go down a certain road that might not have been there, uh, but for that. So there is we certainly... We are hearing from Jennifer now and, um, you know, that there are these projects. I mean, certainly it was a promise of Helen McEntee that they would look at sort of community supports and what would, the, what would be done at community level in terms of youth diversion projects. It, look, it's great starting them now, but they take years to work. So they take a long time to years. work. They have been there for years. And but that this, has they worked were all the very much scaled about, back. They, they have been diverting. I mean, that's, that programme of all of them has the most really exceptional success rate at diverting people away from crime, at working, JLOs working with children to try to keep them out. What you're dealing with is the 5% that are really very difficult, that are committing offences from a very early age mm. where it's very difficult to intervene. What 
but I would say more broadly, in addition to the community supports, one of the most important things is employment prospects, is the opportunity right. to get into apprenticeships, and all of those things have hugely been expanded in that period okay. as well. Um, um, just in terms of the consequences um, for people who carry out this violence um, against, well, not just the Gardaí, but gen uh, general, um, the rotating door of the courts we keep hearing about. And I'm wondering on this one, um, Brendan, what do you think about the introduction of mandatory minimum sentencing? We have it in, in other countries. We see it in the UK that there's a minimum sentence of two years for anyone convicted of assaulting an emergency worker. Uh, would you like to see that now here in Ireland? Well, it's a long-standing policy of the Garda Representative Association to seek uh, mandatory custodial sentences for serious attacks on our members and other emergency services personnel. And I think it's very important as part of this discussion. Of course, there are young people who will err and make mistakes along their way. But when we see the, the, the determination, the focus and the organised nature of some of the, the scenes we've seen in recent times. These are recidivist offenders and we see by their actions, they don't have a fear of consequence for their actions. And of course, as a society, we have to differentiate between people who will err and make a mistake and have programmes that will, will, will lead them to the right path in life and allow them to, to, to move on to mistakes. But we have a serious problem with lawlessness and, and, and a very focused... And is it because there isn't, I mean, that sense that they're going to do time if they throw a bottle at Gardaí. I mean, is that what it is? Well, it seems to be. I mean, and the basic human condition is that, you, you know, you must be aware of the consequences of your actions. And in these individuals seem to realise that there is no consequences. And the question has to be asked. It's not always, as well as the numbers being reduced, why is it? it, it it's, a, it's an indisputable fact that there are more, there are more members of Garda Síochána than there ever was. But why are less Garda more effective? Why are our work practices? Why are the, why are the Garda who are available on the streets, why aren't they more effective? Because their hands are tied behind their backs. Because the work systems, the duplication, the bureaucracy, what's been sold to the public as modernisation and better policing, it's absolutely devouring our tradition of proper, visible community policing that actually delivers, that's effective, that intervenes with, that, that interacts with the victims of crime and the very communities. Brendan, I want to and ask you, people. because we, we do hear this and we hear it from government and you're meeting Simon Harris next week and I'm sure he's going to talk about it again when we talk about the numbers and the efforts being made by government when they make these announcements about big <laughs> Garda recruitments. Um, but in your opinion... Is, is, that, is that working when they're promising we will fund Garda positions? You will have more colleagues to help you out. We constantly ask for more resources and the government, in fairness, commit resources. They commit finances, but those, the financial commitments are not materialising in boots on the ground. And the boots that are on the ground are sitting in front of computer screens carrying out the most ridiculous levels of duplication and processes that have been brought in that we're told is modernising our job. We're told that the recruitment of Garda staff will, will, will release our members for operational policing. It's just creating more and more layers of duplication, more processes, more box ticking, more auditing. It's, it's soul destroying. And the numbers, we, we, we're talking about the, the difficulty in recruiting guards. But the real question here is, there's actually guards in, in places across the country with 29, 30 years service who are buying back their six months service to get out six months early because they're so despondent and so demoralised by the systems and, yeah. uh, that they're working within. And, and we, that's the real rot. And that's we, did, really... we did have, we heard, um, we heard earlier, uh, just all right, the number of resignations, 107 resignations from the force last year. This isn't retirement. This is resigning members of the force who could be on active duty, but they're not now. Um, why are they doing so? Why are they getting out? Why are they so unhappy? Does there need to be a real government review of that and, and more work done to retain Gardaí, 
to pay them well, to have well, them think, feeling safe, secure and happy in their jobs. I think, well, I think that's exactly what we want is that they feel, you know, safe, secure and happy in their jobs. And I hear Brandon and what he's saying about the changes in relation to community policing. There was all, there's always going to be a measure of both retirements and resignations. And you've got to look mm. at that proportionally. As Brendan said, we, we have more Gardaí than we have ever had. I didn't say that because I'm conscious of how much the population has grown and where we need to be relative to our population. But we are trying to recruit, we are trying to bring more people in. But there's other things that we're trying to do as well. We're trying to give Gardaí the technology, the body cam technology that I know that they've wanted to, to help make, to give, you right. know, to make it fairer for them and to help protect them and increase the sentences around assault causing harm. OK, we have to leave that there. Um, and I know, as you said, the issue of body cams is something that I think Gardaí would like to see rather than seeing video footage um, on social media around such incidents. There we'll have to leave it. My thanks to Brendan O'Connor uh, for joining us tonight. The rest of the panel are staying on because coming up after the break, AIB could face questions from the Oireachtas Committee over their process, process uh, for loan write-offs. Do stay with us. AIB is to be asked to appear before the Oireachtas Finance Committee to address why a multi-million euro debt owed by former sports star DJ Carey was reportedly largely written down by the bank. Reports tonight that AIB has defended the deal. The issue was raised in the Dáil today. But Jennifer Carroll McNeil, Thomas Gould and Sean Defoe are still with me. We're also joined uh, tonight now by co-founder of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation, David Hall. Uh, David, you're welcome along to the programme. There's huge sums of money involved here. It's, it's your line of advocacy. How does it all work in terms of uh, debt write-downs? And when people see huge figures like this reduced to <clears throat> the likes of, you know, tens of thousands of euro rather than millions of euro, they wonder how it works and, and in whose favour it all falls down to. Yeah, I think uh, I think historically we have a, an issue with a correct issue with banks in relation to our history, what happened with our recession. You know, banks have a bad history in Ireland. Uh, vulture funds have taken over and have now joined in the fray. But ultimately, this is about a gooseometer as to how goosed somebody actually is. In this instance, this is a very large sum of money. But relatively speaking, you know, they put it into context, the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation, we've done 25,000 debt deals with uh, various lenders. We've done 5,000 with AIB. So we're not, you know, we're very tuned in to what happens here. Mm -hmm. There is a robust process and, and, and system in place to ensure, this is a very straightforward process. How much have you got? How much might you get? And what can they take for the assets they have? And this is all lenders do the same. Have they handled themselves very well? No. Are they a pain in the rear end to deal with? Absolutely. Do they harass and annoy and torture people? Completely. Are they human? Some are, some aren't. Like, there are negative parts to this as well. And we need to be honest about that. And this is more to do with many people who've contacted us over the weekend since this story broke, and many people who deal with all of the politicians every day who've been harassed and tortured for small sums of money and for large sums of money. But ultimately, this is about how goosed somebody is. This is a large sum of money that was written off by a lender who is owned by the state and owned by us as shareholders. Was it done fairly openly and transparently? AIB can only answer that. They can do so in a number of different ways. They can go before the Finance Committee and they can plead the fifth, which is probably what will happen. This can be resolved in half an hour. And, and the reason this is very, very important is there are people the length and breadth of this country watching tonight and, and commenting over the weekend, deeply distressed. Like, debt is a very distressing thing. It surrounds you. It pulls you down and surrounds you and causes great difficulty. Many people are being re, you know, their debt has been reignited by this. Their, their own experience has been reignited. So I don't want a situation tonight where the red mist descends upon people who are in debt. They get annoyed with DJ, they get annoyed with AIB. Let them take advice from the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation, from MABS, from the Insolvency Service. Don't let this take over. 
I, I would have Jim O'Keefe issued a statement tonight in AIB is, is a hardline banker whom I dealt with for years. Very solid. I would take a lot of stock of okay. what he has said uh, tonight. And we, yeah, we don't specifically want to go into great detail no. on the specific cases. And if AIB are before Finance Committee, that's probably exactly what they're going to say, Thomas Gould. Nonetheless, and we heard from um, the Minister <coughs> for Finance tonight that it is um, a matter for the Finance Committee, but he expects um, AIB directors to fulfil their duties in this regard. Um, and that, you know, it will give them the opportunity to lay out their processes here. Do you think people in general just need a bit of clarity about what happens when it comes to debt write-downs? Because at the end of the day, when the stakeholder is the government, a big stakeholder in a bank like AIB, it matters, does it? You see, I think David has really touched on it. What, and Pierre Storty has looked for the AIB note to come in front of the Finance Committee mm. because the question people are asking is, uh, was this fair? Is this the way other people were treated? I know people, and David has touched on it, who are absolutely badgered for small sums of money. Their hearts were broken. People have lost their homes. And then they hear of, of other situations where people seem to get preferential treatment. So what we're looking for now is for EIB to come in, be open, be transparent, and explain to people what happened. If this was done according to all the other rules, well, fair enough. But the way people are feeling now at the moment, their experience, especially over the years of the financial crisis. Mm. Like, I know people who've lost their homes, mm -hmm. they've lost their, uh, their businesses, and then they're looking at this over the weekend. So AIB have questions to answer. Like, the AIB, the, the, the state has a big share of it, and I think what David is saying... It has to be transparent. And of course, we don't know all the individual circumstances that are behind those top-line figures that we're seeing, of course, Sean, but um, lots of people have come to David. There's been lots online about debt write-down since the details of, of, of one case emerged and, you know, people left homeless and, and, and banks pursuing them for every last penny. It's certainly been something that's triggered an awful lot of commentary and we've heard very many difficult stories over the past few days. Yeah, there's a lot of scar tissue there from the last 10 years for an awful lot of people and people who maybe didn't get a write-down or didn't get a particular deal or, right. as Tom said, lost their own house, lost their home and their property. And I think when they see then sums that are in the millions of euro and potentially tens of millions of euro that are way beyond what any normal person really would have been borrowing uh, and that they are getting their write-downs to very, very manageable sums, that's a really frustrating thing when you add the element of celebrity in with this particular case. That frustrates mm -hmm. people as well. So I think, as David said, it's about the process. Was this done the same way as all the others? Was there a reasonable process gone through and was that appropriate? And that's probably what needs to be explained. How that's done is a bit more difficult because even within a Rochester committee, you can't get into all those personal cases. It wouldn't be appropriate at all mm. to hash out someone's personal business in that kind of public forum. So that's a little bit more tricky, but there's an obvious scepticism around the banks because there's very little trust in the banks and quite often for good reason. Um, do you think it would provide some clarity or at least... Um, a recognition at polit political level that it needs to be addressed um, and talked about and, and clarity there if, if, if clarity is required, Jennifer? Well, I think, yes, broadly around debt write-down, but not in relation to any individual case, any, my, my case, your case or any other case that simply wouldn't be appropriate um, in, any, in any scenario. But I think what you need to see is what are the processes that are used by this or any other bank how are they applied? Don't forget that these are heavily regulated entities by the central bank. Um, yes, the state is a shareholder, but we're very clear that the only way the banks could get back on their feet for the taxpayer is if there wasn't political interference because we'd never get any you know, investment. We'd never get the banks back on their 
feet and off the taxpayers' books. Mm. So it's really important that we maintain the integrity of all of those processes as we have so done do to date. So do you think it's a waste of time then? Or do you think it's a good no, idea? No, I don't think it's ever a waste of time to go back and address issues that are really hurting people. I don't think it's ever a waste of time to go back and look at the processes more broadly. But we've already seen in the reporting of this story, this figures change significantly already. Mm. So establishing the facts, taking a minute and establishing facts and going through processes in a careful way is always a good idea. Uh, briefly on that, uh, David, in general, uh, do you welcome this discussion being had and do you think that maybe changes will be required? Yeah, I think, uh, as Jennifer said, look, the, the, the central bank regulates. I have grave reservations in relation to their conflict between regulating entities and consumer protection. You know, I've done deals with more well-known people, more influential people mm. than the person involved here. AIB have a robust system in place. Will the Roxas Committee, somebody going in to have a look at that file in 20 minutes will give the answers the public require. Don't let the red mist descend upon you. Engage and seek help. Okay, good advice. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks to my panel, uh, to Jennifer, to Thomas um, and to Sean as well. All of our guests who joined us tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.